I think you should just prepare your people just to be on the safe side, to help you sleep better at night, to know that you did everything you could to help make sure that your employees, your staff are properly trained. So if there ever was an incident, they would know what to do at least. And you did your part. You can't stop something from happening completely, but you can at least give people the tools and the information for them to be able to, to know what to do in the event something does happen. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Sean Rafferty. Sean is the owner of SPR Group. Hey, Sean, how you doing today? Hey, Peter, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. I really appreciate you being here. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of situational awareness in the workplace. But before we begin, can you add just a little context to our conversation by providing our listeners with your background and your role at SPR Group? Sure. So I formed SPR Group in 2018, and I'm the owner and founder. And I started my endeavor in the world of security, law enforcement, and military in 1991 when I joined the Marine Corps. After the Marines, I worked as a corrections officer, then a police officer. Then I went over to work in Kuwait as a force protection officer. Uh, right before the war in Iraq started. And then once the war started, I managed to um, get my foot in the door working in Iraq as a security consultant and coordinator for a couple different companies, ranging from training Iraqis to uh, providing protection for uh, workers in the oil industry over there to building their Iraqi oil infrastructure up. And then I left there to go work for a company called Blackwater doing high-level executive protection in various parts of Iraq to go start my own company. So that's where I'm at now. Okay. No, that's a great background. I mean, clearly you have been exposed to a lot. I can imagine the stories that you just probably aren't allowed to tell. <laughs> but key to what you do is understanding risk and risk assessment is a topic that we often cover on this show. So What's your process for spotting risks or potential threats within the organizations you work with? Sure. So in executive protection, you have basically what is called concentric layers of security. Mm. And I kind of try to apply the same mindset to when I do vulnerability assessments and risk assessments of sites. So concentric layers of security, basically you have an outer layer of security, then you have a outer perimeter security would be the parking lot, maybe if they have entry gates, things like that. Then you have the building perimeter security. Is that, that would mean the building itself, like the entry points, the cameras on the outside. Then you have the internal security, which would include, you know, your office spaces and whatever other measures you take into place there. So that's how I focus uh, my security strategies whenever I work with organizations or schools. And basically, when I go to a site, whether it's a school or a business, I conduct a vulnerability risk assessment. And I look at those three layers, the outer, the building perimeter, and the internal security. And I look at the physical security aspect of it, and then I look at their actual security protocols, like what do they do on a day-to-day basis? What is their communication process during an event? You know, how do they control access in and out of their building? It's kind of really challenging if you're dealing with a business. Uh, It's like a retail store where they have customers coming in and out of there all the time. That's a lot more challenging. But that's a process that I I go through. And I also look at, you know, what type of training do they do with the staff? Because training is very important. Like a friend told me, he worked with a company, um, a large, very, very large multinational international company. Their uh, idea of active shooter training was having their new hires sit down and they watch a YouTube video a 10 minute long YouTube video 
and that's it. So training is like really one of the biggest areas that it's lacking across the board. Communication is another area, understanding how communication works during an emergency. I mean, you guys specialize in communication, but you know, without communication to actually alert people what's going on and being able to communicate during the emergency, then you know, you're creating a situation where you can have people that are needlessly harmed because they do not know what's going on. Yeah, communication is just pivotal because without it, there's just mass confusion and people either do the wrong thing or the right thing at the wrong time. It, it can be a mess. Sure. And not only that, but in the case of an active shooter incident or any kind of incident where there's life threatening situations involved, you know, where you need somebody to come and help you on that site, whether it be a fire department or uh, police officers, they need to know specific things about that incident that are important and they need important details. And you'd be surprised how people still do not understand how to call 911 properly and what to say. Yeah. And it's not just they're not saying the right things, but it's just the way that they're calling on the actual line. They're panicky. They don't give those police or the first responders the information they need. And that all stems back with the training part of it. Training also consists of traumatic first aid. You know, do you do any kind of first aid like beyond first aid training? Because in my opinion, if you have a business or especially a school, you have to be concerned about the potential for an active shooter situation happening maybe in your building or around your building. And that's another thing that people have to always look at too is you might think you work in an environment or your working environment is great and nothing ever happens. But if you work in a strip mall or maybe an office building where there's multiple floors and multiple businesses. Well, what if there's an incident that happens in the business across the hallway from you? Mm, yep. And what happens if that active shooter leaves that business and comes to yours? So it might not even have anything to do with what's going on in your business or your workspace, but then it might affect your people. Traumatic first aid, how do you treat stab wounds and gunshot wounds? And I'm not talking about teaching people how to be a surgeon. Right. You know, it's just simple things like stop the bleeding, how to do improvised tourniquets and proper placement of first aid kits and understanding that just because you have a first aid kit, and this applies for places that have warehouses and, you know, heavy machinery and They'll have like first aid stations and things like that or teams of first aid people. Yep. But one thing in an active shooter incident is you're not going to be able to run in the middle of the building and go grab a first aid kit. Got to make do with what's in front of you. Yeah. So you have to either know how to treat yourself or how to strategically place things to where people can access them in an emergency where they have to worry about somebody shooting at them. In your experience, and I know you've seen a lot based on what we've been talking about, what are the biggest disconnects or blockers that make companies so reluctant to develop a preparedness strategy or to essentially keep a persistently underdeveloped strategy in place? I think you should just prepare your people just to be on the safe side, to help you sleep better at night, to know that you did everything you could to help make sure that your employees, your staff are properly trained. So if there ever was an incident, they would know what to do at least. And you did your part. You can't stop something from happening completely, but you can at least give people the tools and the information to know what to do in the event something does happen. I know OSHA requires certain regulations for certain companies, but how many companies or schools practice fire drills? Right. You know, they practice them a lot, but they don't practice active shooter response. And it, it comes back to what you said before. It's this idea of statistically speaking, it's much less likely to happen to us. But I always say statistics go both ways. You can be in the set of statistics that it doesn't happen to you. But you could also be in the column where it does happen to you. <laughs> Better to be prepared. Oh, yeah. And I also like to say it's like not only as a leader or an owner or a principal, your responsibility is the safety of your people. You're in charge of that. If something does happen and people are hurt or killed, then you're talking about a huge liability aspect. 
and people are going to sue you and everything like that. So at least be able to cover all the bases that you should cover. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, from a business perspective, it just makes sense. But also from a moral perspective, culturally, it should be ingrained in, in your company and what you do. Safety should be just top of mind as part of your culture. Sure, sure. We've talked about it in this conversation, and that's preparing for active shooter situations. And I know these trainings are a big focus for you guys at SPR Group. So what type of guidance do you offer organizations for this type of emergency specifically? You have to start with training because it all starts with the people on the ground level because the people are the backbone on making every security process happen correctly. And sometimes some of this training is kind of a lazy way of thinking about it. It's a cookie cutter thing where they take one little small scenario that could or could not happen and they just work on that. But in reality, it's a very fluid situation and there's so many moving parts. So that's what the type of training that should be conducted is like a full-fledged training where you you have, in my opinion, reoccurring video-based training where the owner, the leadership or the principal can say, hey, look, once a month, I need you to take this training. When you get this training done, print out the certificate of completion, send it to me. You do that type of training throughout the year. And then you could do little micro mini drills, micro mini training sessions where you work on very small pieces of that actual video based training. So if you're going to talk about how to call 911, well, you just do a little Mm. micro training drill where you grab maybe 10 workers and you spend 15 minutes and you go through scenarios. Okay, hey, hey, Johnny, your turn to call 911. This is a scenario. And you just practice doing that or you practice putting on a tourniquet. So you could do these little micro drills throughout the year. And at the end, you could do a full blown live scenario where you put everything together. And then if you've had continuous training throughout the year, video based as well as these little micro drills, then you're gonna do way better and you're gonna feel more Mm -hmm. confident because when you don't know what to do, people freeze, they panic, and that's when people die, unfortunately. I love the idea of having the video based training along with those micro drills, because I was gonna ask you, it's impossible to tell people to stop doing business Every day to go do training. So how can you make them get more effective at this? And I think the micro drills are amazing. That's great. Can you share some examples of behaviors or red flags to look out for in the workplace that could lead to escalations of violence? Sure. I'm just going to throw out a little statistic real quick. According to the National Safety Council in 2019, physical assaults in the workplace resulted in over 20,000 injuries and 450 fatalities. So the biggest thing I try to tell people or organizations is, well, it goes back to the training, right? So as the individual, as the person working in that environment or going to school, get to know your employees. Just pay attention to them because at the end of the day, we generally spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our families. I mean, that's not the case right now with COVID so much, but <laughs> right. so you're spending a lot more time with your coworkers. So pay attention to their mannerisms, pay attention to the way they talk, the way they act what they're saying. Because if you're working next to John for the last five years and you know John is normally a happy-go-lucky guy and he's always talkative and friendly, but all of a sudden you start seeing John being more quiet, Mm. doesn't talk to anybody anymore, and then maybe seeing him getting a little angry and then it just goes from there and his mannerisms are totally different. Pay attention to how people act, how they communicate. That's a good way to get an idea of what they potentially might do in the future. You don't know what it is, but you know something's going on. There's a process, right? People have to go through all these steps. And most of the time they're giving some type of warning that they're going to do it. Some of them even talk about it. Some of them make websites about it. You know, the Columbine shooters did that. They talk about it. They go to see a psychiatrist Mm. and they tell them about it. And then people tell the police, you know, hey, Johnny's been talking about going and shooting up his school. 
And then they tell the police and the police don't do anything about it. I mean, it's happened over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that's why paying attention just to your normal daily interactions with your coworkers and how they act, that'll give you some good red flags, potentially incidents occurring. And if, if you see one of those red flags, what are you supposed to do? What do you counsel people? Because people are scared. They're like, I, I don't want to make a big thing out of nothing. I don't want to get someone into trouble if there's nothing there. I mean, are they supposed to go to HR? Like, what do you do and how do you do it? Well, I would tell them, first of all, you got to have common sense, right? You just can't panic and freak out because maybe somebody who owns guns, for instance, that likes to shoot on the weekends and maybe he likes to talk about his gun. Right. And you're the type of person that doesn't like guns and thinks they're evil. And so you look at this person as being a dangerous person because they like to shoot guns. And that's happened before, right? right? Yep. You just have to use your common sense. But if you have any question as far as what this person might do or be capable of, then go to your first line supervisor. Go from Mm -hmm. there. And if you're afraid to do that, then you can go to HR or you could do an anonymous complaint if you're afraid of being Mm -hmm. signaled out. That's what I would do. If you have other close friends that you work with there, maybe talk to them about what you saw as well, because there might be incidents where you tell somebody you saw you saw some evidence, you heard something that this person says, and you brought this to the supervisor's attention or the HR and they didn't do anything about it. But at least, you know, in the back of your mind, you keep an eye on that person and you can tell your other coworkers that you're friends with, hey, watch out for this guy. This is what I saw. And you can go from there. But it's a very tricky situation because you don't want to accuse somebody of something right. if they're not really doing anything bad. And that's the kind of like the fine line you have to try to walk. So you're looking at people, how their daily interaction is, you know, just their mannerisms and you're picking up on different clues on them. They're acting different, acting weird. But then what about just the situation where you can pick out clues on the day of, for instance, right? Mm. So that's where body language, like understanding body language comes into play. So, you know, you already were paying attention to that person and how they do their daily interactions and you understand like, okay, something's something's not right with John. He's not like this. Something's not right about that, right? So yeah. if John decides to come in and he's wearing you know, something different, maybe he's carrying a backpack and he never carries a backpack. You know, what's in the backpack, right? Could be a gun, right? And John's like acting very nervous and he's not normally like that. He's sweating a lot, yep, yep. right? He's maybe looking at people in a kind of a hateful manner or maybe he's avoiding eye contact altogether, Right. And that's normally not how he is. Maybe when he talks to people, he always gives eye contact. But this time he's not. He's pacing around. He's nervous. Those are body language clues that something's going on. And then, of course, if you're looking at somebody close enough to be able to attack you, then some of those clues I just spoke of are good indications. But things like clenching your fist, breathing's a little bit different. But those are kind of like the body language clues that you could pick up on for the incident that maybe is going to take place right then and there. What do, you, what do you do when you see that? At that point, it's no longer about going to HR. It's like, wow, something could go down any minute. What do you recommend folks do when they see that kind of body language and that kind of stuff going on? I would say just get away from the area. I mean, because you don't want to um, attack them. If you feel really uncomfortable, of course, tell something if you have a security person there. But, you know, it's a very tricky situation. At minimum, you can protect yourself. Let other people around you know what's going on. Yeah. I always say there's no shame in running. I mean, that's the best thing you can do. If you're unarmed and somebody's armed, there's not really much you could do about that. I want to move on to the topic of situational awareness. If anyone has ever taken a self-defense class, they know how important this is to avoiding trouble. But the problem is we're all distracted by what we're doing in the moment and we get oblivious to anything else. Or the other thing I see is that people know something's wrong, and we talked about this, but they're choosing to ignore it because it's uncomfortable. 
or they don't want to be seen as stirring up trouble. So can you explain situational awareness in just very simple terms and then tell us how you educate employees on the importance of it on a day-to-day basis in the office or even in a remote work environment, working from home? Situational awareness is basically paying attention to the area and the environment around you. Now, when I say environment, I mean your workspace, your building, your school. Know everything about that place. Know where all the exits lead to because oh, yeah. what, what happens if there's multiple shooters and one of them is downstairs on the main floor and waiting down at the bottom of the stairwell and they're just waiting for, to shoot people as they're coming down? Fish in a barrel. Yeah, yeah, fish in a barrel. So situational awareness and observational awareness to me are the key fundamental aspects of having good personal security and safety. One thing I always like to ask security professionals is how do you work with people to get more comfortable with the, the idea of see something, say something, or just something as simple as don't let someone follow you through the door when everyone's supposed to badge through it. A lot of people feel uncomfortable with that kind of stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, our society in some ways plays into that, right? We don't. Yeah, trusting. Yeah. Yep. Well, not only that, but just we want to be politically correct and we don't want to offend anybody right. because everybody's offended by everything nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So people are scared and they don't want to be labeled, right? Now, in the case of what you were talking about, badging, well, that's clear cut, right? That's a policy. Hey, buddy, I don't really know who you are. I don't recognize you. I'm not going to let you in. You have to badge like everybody else. It's kind of a think of yeah. a, a different way to approach them about it. You don't have to be aggressive, right? It goes along with what I was saying before. At the end of the day, a proper security strategy is based upon the employees, right? The individual person. Because if that person's not doing what they're supposed to do, then everything else is going to collapse. Yeah, without a doubt. Well, I'd like to close just by asking one more question. We really like to give our audience something they can take with them and immediately, like today, perhaps go and make an impact on their organization. So with that in mind, what's something that our audience could take action on literally today to help them improve their company's safety culture? Besides uh, the situational awareness part of it, when you go back to your company, just start looking around for any type of weaknesses that you see. Look at it like if I wanted to attack this building or do something in here, you know, how would I do it? Oh, well, there's, you know, there's a little weakness over here. There's a, there's a back door over here. Everybody always props open to go take a smoke break and it's not alarmed. Okay. Well maybe, you know, I can go take this to HR or, or my supervisor and let them know what's going on. And that way you can start a ground level movement and trying to fix those weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, it's just picture a chain and just start looking for the weakest links and start replacing them. And then before you know it, your chain is a thousand times stronger yep. than it was before. And you're now less of a target. This has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you sharing all your expertise and advice on the importance of situational awareness in the workplace. And if anyone out there listening has follow-up questions or wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to track you down? Well, they can go to my website at sprgroupsolutions.com and they can um, reach me there. Or uh, I actually have my own podcast called the Security Pro Podcast where I kind of talk about topics like what we're talking about right now. Um, so you can listen to me there. I really appreciate you having me on your show and I'm hoping that uh, your listeners got something important tidbits of information from me. I certainly did. So I'm sure they did as well. So thanks again. I really appreciate you taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. 
We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.